rolling. And we're rolling. And we're rolling. Woo! <laughs> hello, well, Chris. Well, hello again, Kathy. And hello, listeners. You are listening to The Cinema We See. I'm Gabby, and I'm joined by Chris. Hello. And what have we got today? We are doing Patterson. That, that's right. Um, that, that's good. Starts on well so far. <laughs> so far, so good. So, I might as well dispense with the formalities. So, Patterson is a film starring Adam Driver of Star Wars sequel fame. This film by Jim Jamush is a drama romance with a bit of comedy about the ups and downs of a bus driver from Patterson called Patterson. Yeah, lots of, uh, shall we say, parallels in this film. Like, there's a whole thing with twins as well. And, twins? Uh, yeah, twins. What's special about twins? Well... I was just, you know how you were like Adam Driver, bus driver, his name's oh, Patterson. Yeah, and then there's a bit in the film where um, Patterson, um, his wife, I believe it's his wife, uh, Laura, um, she tells him her dream that she had like the night before. And she, doesn't she say that she had a dream they had twins? That's right. And then after that, he just keeps seeing twins. Patterson does, like on his way to work and on the way back from work. And that's very interesting. Sort of like the Matrix, where he sees the two cats and the twins. Well, not really. Well, yeah, I know what you mean because, like, the thing I'm, I'm actually really glad you mentioned the Matrix because the thing about Patterson is surface level. It seems as if it's. Uh, you know, we're, we're almost watching something that's quite mundane, um, something that's very recognisable in our own reality in terms of, you know, Monday to Friday, we get up, we go to work, and then we look forward to the weekend, and everything fo- follows a sort of routine. But I'm glad you mentioned The Matrix, because isn't it like um, at the beginning of that film, um, what's Neo called? His name's something like really... Uh, Thomas Anderson, isn't it? Isn't it like Mr. Anderson? And he's like, he's like working in an office and stuff. And then someone tells him that actually you're living in a simulation and um, there's more to what life is than what you're living. So I'm glad you mentioned The Matrix because, you know, this film, if you don't watch it closely enough, you think it's just, oh, this is boring. He just gets up and he goes to work and thinks, when does he get his lightsaber out? But like, he, there is a lot more going on if you you watch it closely and you 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 discover like the little subtleties to it. Yes, I think there's a lot of subtleties to this film because it's about a poet as well. Apple's driver is also a poet, and not only does he actually tell poems to the viewer, we're also supposed to see a poetry to life as well, and. Maybe this idea of the nine to five or whatever, and then shown each day of the week, starting the same, ending the same, with some variation in between, is meant to be a commentary in how life contains poetic themes as well of repetition. And I think that's perhaps why the director, Jim Jamush here, went with that format of every day we start off 
also like it's very chronological. You start on Monday, he wakes up, does his job, then in the evening he goes to a bar, and then the next day he gets up in the morning, he has a slightly different journey, and then he returns to the bar. So it's like the film is meant to be a poem. So I think there's a lot of symbolism here. I also think it, it is in like for example if i look at my own life i personally look forward to both the routine that i can expect the following day but also i know there will be subtleties that will be different and i look forward to those um it's that it's that balance of things going the way you expect them to go and things not going the way you expect them to go that keeps life interesting i think it can't be wildly one way or the other because you know it's just not it's not a good balance it's not yeah it's not good balance if things are just constant sort of on the go and all these unexpected things happening like a mission impossible movie but it's not as routine as if you know best laid plans because nothing ever really goes to plan it's always slightly askew but I want to talk about Adam Driver being cast in this because I love that this is a year after he did um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. And I always thought, thought he was kind of odd being cast in Star Wars. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a very good Kylo Ren. He is, he is good in it. But he, you know, he, he started in television, I believe. Um, he was on a show called Girls, uh, which is very much sort of like a... How do I phrase it? Like a John Cassavetes esque dialogue sort of show. And then he went and worked for uh, Noah Bombach, which again, very John Cassavetes inspired. He did While We Were Young, he did, um, he did uh, Francis Ha, where he plays um, a more outgoing, confident kind of version of Patterson, I'd say. Um, so I like how he's cast in this because Adam Driver's got one of those faces where he can look so stoic but not bland there's always something in his eyes or in the downturn of um, his lips where you know he's thinking and he's processing and listening yeah i agree actually he has a very distinctive look about him and that really forms a signature for his act i think because there are lots of actors where you sort of they just fill into a stereotype because I'm thinking of actors like Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and yeah, okay, they probably play very different roles, but then it sort of feels like there's nothing necessarily particularly distinct about them. Whereas Adam Driver, just from his appearance, seems to have have a more distinct quality. Yeah, because he's good-looking, but in an unorthodox kind of way. Like, George Clooney, it doesn't matter if I'm watching Ocean's Eleven or Up in the Air or Out of Sight. With George Clooney, I always am watching it thinking, I'm watching George Clooney. Um, I don't, you know, um, take him as a character. With Brad Pitt, I'd say, personally, in recent years, I think he's really got lost in his roles, particularly Moneyball. Um, I feel like uh, I don't see the Brad Pitt um, from, say, Mr. and Mrs. Smith 
or Tree of Life or something. I when I watch Moneyball, and he's Billy Bean. He's not Brad Pitt. He's Billy Bean. So um, yeah, but with this, I wasn't thinking of like you know any of um, Adam Driver's other roles. I was just totally into this character because I think you know he the thing about him being a poet is that's how he expresses himself because you know you get all sorts of people who like to write i mean um you get pe- people who are very outgoing and very loud and very talkative who who write uh but you also get people like patterson who you know someone will say to him are you how are you doing for example his co co-worker um you know the other bus driver Donnie, I think his name is, he, he'll he always say, like, how are you doing? And um, Patterson will go, I'm fine. And then Donnie will be like, oh, well, I'm not fine. I've got this, that, and t'other going on, you know? Um, so, it, it is in- so it is interesting how we have a window into who Patterson is through his poetry. And um, that's a big point towards the end of the film, just how much the poetry makes up who, we, who he is. Yeah. Um, sounds a lot to take in. I think. I mean, I, I think yeah, the, yeah, the casting of Adam Driver in this film was very important. Actually, I think that had there been other other popular actors that perhaps didn't quite have that level of distinction that Adam Driver has, it would have come across as being bland. Whereas with Adam Driver because he's able to play the stoic and humble character very well and because he can play that character and still be engaging, he he fits right into this role. So I think the casting has been very good in this film and it certainly carried the film as well because, just to reiterate, I think had they've had actors which didn't quite fit their roles, this could have been a bland film. Yeah, because sometimes I forget how important casting is. I think I was re- reminded of it because um, you and I were texting earlier about the new Dune trailer. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I texted you something like, um, oh, it looks okay, but I don't. I think Timothy Chalamet might be miscast because, and then you replied, that it kind of seemed like a teen romance kind of thing. I got and, that vibe, yeah. And I know we're going on a tangent, um, a tangent, but please, listeners, bear with us. Because the thing is, like, I think if we're talking about casting, um, it's also maybe a misstep that they cast Oscar Isaac, who was in Star Wars. Um, because I'm thinking people might be watching the trailer and going, oh, Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya snogging, it's going to be a romance. Oh, look, Oscar Isaac, it's going to be a kind of Star Wars-esque thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Star Wars was inspired by June. The novel, the Frank Herbert novel was published in 1965, I think. Um, So, you know, it was kind of like the dragon eating the tail sort of thing when it comes to what Star Wars was inspired by. Um, but, um, casting, yeah, it's so important. Like, um, I do like the casting of, uh, who is it now? Uh, the one who plays Patterson's wife, because, um, I haven't seen her in a lot of things, but she crops up here and there and she's just got this sort of presence where she's very lovely and sweet and everything. But, uh, I, I think the actress 
um, I'm blanking on her name. I think she. Golshitef Farahani. Yes, I think is that um, because she's got a very recognizable name, um, but I can't pronounce it. I just make a mess of it. But um, yeah, so the thing is, it's, she she's very good at knowing what she represents in the film. For example, her character just loves black and white, the colors, like everything, like from the clothes she wears to her paintings to her baking to uh, she wants to she buys this guitar that's a black and white guitar and the thing about that is it's like um her and patterson are yin and yang um like they're they're different but they're very compatible they work together and she sort of emphasizes that whenever they they've got scenes together yeah i'll be honest i think some of the subtleties of this film have been lost on me. I mean, I watched it and just absorbed it, and I just recognised it as being a slow-paced, comfy, relaxing film that transported us to this town of Patterson in America, and you got to see all the 1940s, I think, about that time, is it 1940s American architecture. It just really looks great, and I just sort of became immersed in it, and uh, allowed myself to be relaxed by it. Um, oh yeah, you you I can think totally it basically made a welcome break from a lot of the films I've been watching recently, where there's been a lot of drama and graphic ideas. So I think that if people are watching films again, burnt out by watching films that they find depressing, although they might find them intriguing and interesting, there is a, a slightly down downward turn to them. Then you want to reinvigorate your enthusiasm for cinema, then, well, independent cinema, then I would watch this film. Yeah, because um, what I would say is that, um, and this is not a criticism, you could turn this film and go to sleep to it, and you'd probably have like a really nice sleep, you know, because it won't wake you up halfway through with bang, crash, wallop or whatever it is. And also it puts you, as you were saying, like into this nice sort of melancholy, like like getting into a warm bath, you know? Um, because I can hear my husband running the bath upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good analogy anyway. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so, no, so I I just no, noticed the subtleties because this is the second time I've, I've, been, I've watched this film. I watched it for the first time about a year ago, I think, and I remember quite a bit about it, especially the ending, because the ending made a big impression on me. Um, but it's... It is it is a nice film. Like I've seen a few Jarmouche now. I've seen uh Night on Earth, which is one very interesting movie. I've seen Only Lovers Left Alive, Broken Flowers. Um have I seen anything else? I'm not too sure. I've sold Coffee and Cigarette. Um I haven't seen these films, just so you know. But I'm, um I'm just nodding in the <laughs> So the thing with Jarmusch is that his films are always about one thing, like, for example, what you'd read on the back of the DVD, but then something completely else at the same, t- same, same time, which I think is the most interesting films. Like, it's about this, but it's also about this. And the, the great thing about it is you can... Only Lovers Left Alive, you can just see it as a vampire movie or 
you can have more of a discussion of what it's trying to say about humanity you know what I mean so um yeah so I like that about Jarmusch but with this film um it's interesting how when I first saw this film I I didn't appreciate that in some ways it's more about um well it is about Patterson don't get me wrong but if you compare Patterson to his wife so and that kind of tells you if you hang on let me get this straight if you compare Patterson to his wife that will unlock the true ending of this film I think so we'll go into spoilers now if that's okay you're right going into spoilers Chris yeah I guess so I personally think that uh all the scenes when Patterson comes home from work and he interacts with his wife are some of the most important scenes in the film because she she she's also a creative type uh, like he is but she's a different creative type and I'm not saying one's better than the other but she's creative in terms of she'll try 101 things she'll probably be good at 80 of them and you know the the only the only issue is that she has very very big aspirations for herself like wanting to be uh, a a business runner um, um a business owner of baking goods i think it was uh, or country singer um but sometimes she gets so distracted by trying the next thing that she doesn't really improve the thing she was doing whilst patterson he I, I guess we can assume he's been writing poems for many years and reading poetry for many years, and he's just content to read before, he, um, sorry, write before he starts work, write on his lunch breaks, uh, write in the evenings, write on the weekends, whilst um, his wife is like, oh, I'm going to do this now. And, you know, I just I just find that interesting because um if we talk about the big thing at the end um he accidentally leaves his notebook out and the dog the couple own who's this like great big uh English bulldog he you know rips this notebook to shreds and we as the viewer are just devastated because we've been seeing him write and like he talks about poetry and you know how passionate about about it he is so when you see all those pieces of um torn paper on the ground it really bothers you just as much as you can imagine it bothers Patterson but because he's such a stoic guy he kind of tries to not downplay the matter but or and not ignore it either but he just kind of he seems to go limp, you know? I think that this is a film that's better felt than described. That is just one of those kind of films because when you describe it, you're just describing a series of events. But really, you have to watch it and you have to feel it to understand what's really going on because it's not just about the particular events, it's the environment they occur in. It's also about the casting and the actors how you warm to them as well and through that they seem to 
starts forming in your own mind a deeper meaning. And I'm trying to really grapple with what the deeper meaning of this film is. But maybe there isn't really a deeper meaning. Ah. Maybe it's just a way of conveying certain feelings and certain emotions. And maybe that's what the purpose of the film is. Well, I think I know what the meaning is in terms of the characters in this film. Because... Um, Patterson goes, so this is at the very, very end of the film, the last 10 minutes of the film. Uh, Patterson goes to uh, a park, I think, and um, he meets this Japanese man there. And they sit on the bench together and they're just chatting. And it turns out the, the guy from Japan, he's really into his poetry and he knows um, uh, so much about. Patterson's favorite poet, uh, I believe he's called William Carlos Williams. And um, Patterson kind of, oh, and he asked Patterson, Do you write poetry? And Patterson says, No, I'm just a bus driver. And he never really talks about his poetry over the course of the film, apart from when he's talking to this 10 year old girl, because it turns out she also writes poetry. And um, but he, don't, he never really tells anyone that he does it. I mean, his wife knows and everything like that, but he's never outrightly denied it. Um, but the the man kind of looks at him like um, he doesn't really believe him because he knows he's so knowledgeable about other poets. And um, at the end of the film, uh, when the man gets up to leave, he hands Patterson an empty notebook. And so this is the meaning I derive from the film because... The thing is, Patterson, again, in contrast to his wife, the poems were never meant for anyone but himself. And even though the poems he has got down on paper have now been destroyed and lost, he can still keep going because, you know, it's still inside him and he's got nothing to prove in a, in a, in a way to anybody else. Uh, his wife was always encouraging him to uh, photocopy his notebook. Um, um, Alex? What's that? I think he can hear you. I think we seem to be having technical difficulties. Oh, are we? It sounds like your mic cut off, Gabby. Hello. I can hear you, but you're very quiet. Yeah, you're quieter today. I don't know what... I, I just assumed it was... I don't know, Sorry, the internet or something. something on my end. I, I don't think it is, though. To wait a moment. Um, perhaps I might have to try to rejoin. Really sorry about this. No, no, don't worry. Um, we won't, oh, wait, we've you're only... loud again. What happened? <laughs> we've only got a little bit left. Um, so, because you are right, this film can't be overly explained because uh, people should you know, feel it, as you say. So the thing is, is that, where was I? Um, yeah, so he can just keep going because there is no end, really. Um, the film's structure is leading up to the weekend. We start on Monday and the, we're leading up to the weekend because it's mentioned a few times that his wife would like him to photocopy his notebook. And that's when I started thinking, oh, this has been mentioned a few times. This is like Chekhov's notebook, you know, like 
something is going to happen to the notebook and sure enough it does um but the whole thing is is that Pat- there is no end patterson can keep writing until he's in his 60s and no one has to read them it's for him it's just his way of expressing himself like he doesn't need to i mean i'm not criticizing his wife i'm really not i'm just comparing them he doesn't need to do poetry to with the end game of becoming a poet who publishes collections every two years you know that's not the end game for patterson he's happy being a bus driver being married uh going to the pub well the bar for one drink every night and he's he's happy with that life so you know it is a real loss um when his um notebook is ripped to shreds by that dog but he it, you know he can keep going i think that's the meaning yes i, I think my thoughts about this are similar to yours because having listened to what you've said in i think i understand what the purpose of this film was now and what the purpose of the film was for the director and it's there are two parts one is a commentary on poetic themes throughout life how there's poetry wherever you look and we see that with his encounters with poets the japanese man and also the girl as well who had their own poetry but these are just chance encounters but he actually meets other poets and you also mentioned about the theme of twins throughout the film, which, and the idea of repetition, which is a part of poetry as well. Although you don't have a rhyme, you have a chorus where you go through the same theme. And so it's a commentary on poetry and how you can find poetry throughout life. But also, I think the purpose of the film was just to give good feeling to the viewers it's really just a comfy film that makes the viewer feel more optimistic and happy about life yeah definitely more optimistic and happy about life i think it's a very hopeful ending that you know things can be taken away from us destroyed uh ruined but we can still keep going because um you know, there are so many little subtleties in life that crop up that can really make your day, you know, and you don't expect them sometimes, but um, they they are there and they are waiting for you, you know. Down the line, there will be many things, um, some small, some big, that will, you know, you know, just brighten your day. Um, yeah, some things happen that are very hard to deal with, but this film shows that... Um, you, you can keep going. It's not the end. It's not the end. It's not the end. What I also liked is um, we live in an Instagram filter kind of culture where it's sort of like if you're not uh, quote unquote living your best life, i.e. going to the beach, going to the best restaurants, going, uh, I don't know, just doing this that and other whatever that's really interesting all the time like i don't know snowboarding but that's a good photo opportunity as well yeah so but the thing about patterson is it says no you can have a beautiful life that doesn't you don't need any of those things like it's a little bit on the nose that patterson really rejects smartphones 
Um, but I think, you know, again, a little bit on the nose, but again, that that is saying that you don't need to be uh, documenting your life or trying to present your life as something bigger than it is. Because if you look internally, your life is just beautiful, you know? Yeah, it definitely encourages the viewer to take life at a slower pace and just to stop to think and observe rather than, you know, having these gadgets and being glued to them and that you you don't have to live your life through fast-paced action. You can have an enjoyable experience by making simple observations and taking your time to think about things, you know, looking at a waterfall, trying to form a poem in your mind. It doesn't have to be about smartphones and games and action films. So that does portray a very optimistic message. Yep, very much. Good pick, Chris. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I chose this film because I thought it would be slower paced, more relaxed, less overly dramatic, not quite as intriguing, but then not as depressing. So I think I've succeeded. I did enjoy watching it. It was a very relaxing film. I'm not sure if I'd be able to watch this film and another film like it and another film like it but I think this film at least on its own is a welcome relief from the more from all the things we've seen recently but as a good uh, counterpart I might pick something that's kind of more of a melodrama for our yeah, next feature I won't mind actually because I kind of so... like um, I kind of like um, with you and I picking episodes that We'll sort of try and do the reverse of what the last person picked. I thought it'd be a good idea, actually, because sometimes we end up going down the route of a theme, and that's because we watch a film and we enjoy it, so we want more films like it. But then the only downside with that is that I think we keep watching films until we encounter one of that theme we don't like. So maybe it's probably variety is the best option to go down. Variety is the spice of life. Absolutely. And I'm wondering what film I would pick next, actually. See what's on movie in the moment. You're as bad as my brother. Whenever it was my birthday, my brother would be like, hmm, what am I going to do on my birthday? And I'd be like, your birthday's not for another two months. Well, what can I say? Um... Sorry, I actually can't say anything. So, Chris, you, <laughs> Chris, you've got two siblings, right? Yes. So, um, where do your birthdays fall in terms of the year? Like, what months are um, your brother and sister? I'm July, November, and then March. So, that, see, that's a good. Out, so nobody can really bustle in and someone else's parade. Yeah, that is a good. Um, that is a good gap. I had um, a friend, um, and her sister was. Uh, two year groups above us, but her sister, her sister's birthday was the day before her birthday. I mean, that shouldn't really cause problems. It, well, well, no, I mean, they, but they didn't get two, they didn't get two cakes. They got one cake and they got one party, which they enjoyed. But it was, it was kind of like, um, it wasn't. You know how you feel a bit special on your birthday, and she was just like, yeah, I've got to share it. Every year. <laughs> Are you saying I'm making you feel less special? 
No, I, I was just laughing because um, it's my turn for the next pick of the show. And you're like, hmm, what am I going to pick? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I wasn't going to say. I was, you know, just, just I, I can have a look. You're just that. thinking out pick. loud. Absolutely. You're... Yeah. And maybe your brother was just um, trying to help you make some suggestions. He, yeah, he was, he, he was. Exactly, your brother was helping you. He was so. thinking out loud like you were, but not very tactful. Um, because I was like, um, I remember, like, he's done this a few times. Like, I'll be, like, opening my cards and stuff, and he'll go, yeah, I just can't stop thinking about my own birthday. And I'll be like, Mike, it's my <laughs> birthday. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm sure he's happy for you. Yeah, I'm sure he's happy for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> so is right. there, there are other things going on in the world of cinema. It seems that over the past few months, the world of cinema has come to a halt. But then it seems that this release, re- the release of the trailer for June, in my mind, it's all broken this, this all long-running um, delay. Yeah, I mean, like, Tenant's out now and is being reviewed. Um, very mixed reviews. Some people love it. Some people bloody hate it. Uh, so I'll, things I'll are make... starting up again in the cinema world. Yeah, Tenant sort of flew under my radar, really. Maybe it flew under the radar of other people as well. But it seems, well, this Dune trailer sort of certainly caught my attention. It's probably because I have been anticipating it since last year. And... So when it's come out now, I thought, okay, yeah, this is broken the stalemate that we have in cinema. But we'll have to, we'll have to see. I'm not really up to date with things, to be honest. Um, you mentioned in Tenant, is it Tenant and Dune? But what other films are there? It's not really something that. Well, Mulan's now out on Disney Plus, not to stream but to buy, I believe. And that's got very, very good reviews across the board. Uh, what else has been going on? Oh, some film festivals have been going on, like Venice and Toronto. I think Telluride's coming up. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that would probably be pushed back to next year. But um, I imagine, you know, there'll be some sort of award season, very small one, I guess. But that'll probably start up in, well end of this month i guess yeah we're starting to get a few more um films from the live streaming services so i think there's um, one from what have we got here where's yeah i'm trying to think really oh yeah you mentioned milan isn't that that's um on is it disney's streaming service well it's on disney plus which is their streaming platform but you do have to buy it that's annoying. So you gotta get the stream platform, and then you gotta buy it on top. So uh, like yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that sucks. Well, it's like you've got to have Sky, and then you to. It's like you have to have Sky in order to get into the Sky Store. Uh, so it is a bit of a faff, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's necessarily a good thing, actually, because it's going to limit the audience because people are not going to want to sign up to a service and then pay on top of that just to watch one film. And then they have I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Mulan's made a, a butt ton, so... 
I'm not sure. Unfortunately, I think this sort of thing could lead to tribalism in film. Tribalism? Well, what will happen is you'll have people who've signed up and dedicated themselves to one streaming service, and then people dedicate themselves to another streaming service. So you'll have um, a Netflix tribe, oh. a Disney Plus tribe, if you see what I mean. And then people, Trust me, honey, yeah, that's already a thing. People get into arguments saying, well, Disney Plus is better than Netflix, and because they're Netflix, then Disney Plus. But the, this isn't good because what will happen is that you have bad films coming out on either stream platform, but people will be saying that they're good. People will just be reviewing them, saying oh, this is this film's the best ever because it's on their preferred stream platform. And then you'll have people saying that good films on another platform are bad. And it doesn't really make sense, but in my experience, that's how it's well, I'll tell you something else. Like, not that. Like, proven wrong. Well, I'll also say something that, like, I obviously don't want the death of cinemas. I love going to cinema, but someone but pointed. <laughs> but listen, someone pointed out on um, another podcast that I think in America you can get Mulan for thirty dollars. Now, a lot of people are saying that when you add up driving to the cinema going in buying your popcorn buying your drinks drinks. will you be quiet but for some for some families they do you know drive to cinema buy popcorn buy drinks buy tickets and thirty dollars is like a uh, what you call it? What you call it? Um, well, it's Money. basically just cheaper for those kind of families. I mean, Mark and I, um, we've for years gone to the cinema without buying anything but our tickets. Yes, we've driven there, but we don't get the um overpriced popcorn or anything. Oh well, well sometimes we do when we feel a bit peckish, but yeah, very rarely, very rarely. I mean, I suppose, but then if that was, yeah, I, I you've got to add it all up, Chrissy. You've got to add it all up. Something does sell my mind though about getting people to sign up to Disney and then charging them again. I mean, that's obvious. It's not being done for the fans' benefit. It's being done to make more money. Well, well, it. yes, it is for the Mouse House um, to get their money. However. Like, people have found during lockdown that they will just buy a new movie for their kids to watch because they've, you know, run out, basically. They've watched everything. So, um, in March, or was it April, when uh, Trolls World Tour came out, you could buy it or rent it. I can't remember what it was, on the Sky Store. Everyone was just, you know, doing that because their kids were like, it's another Trolls movie because they'd seen it, like, advertised on billboards and on buses and things. And then they go on the thing and it says, you can buy Trolls. And they don't know. They're just like, oh, please, please. And then the parents just go, okay. Um, but it's actually not worked out that too bad for parents because when you think about taking your kids to the cinema and how much that costs, it's like, you know. I like a bit of emotional blackmail. Yeah, a little bit. See that the um, film industry can all has the equivalent of putting chocolates at the checkout aisle. Yes, chocolates at the checkout aisle. That's for sure. I'm not. I'm sort. I'm going to say again. I I don't. There's something I don't like about all of these. I'm sure there'll be viewers who agree with me. In fact, I think most of our say viewers. I mean, listeners would agree with me. Where 
there is this increasing commercialization where you get all of these different commercial avenues. I think it's good that we're getting more independent film and that we're getting the streaming service making films because we're getting more competition. It's not the case anymore that Hollywood has a stranglehold on cinema. I think it's bad when Hollywood has a stranglehold in cinema and that independent films can't get in. But So that's a good thing about streaming services. I think the bad thing, though, is this situation arising where the streaming platforms are able to start trying to commercialise cinema more. What I mean to say is, is that they may be going through their, their services. Yeah, you're one. it's not just a one-time payment. It's like payments on top of payments. I know what you mean. But in all fairness, it is new territory for all these industries and they're just trying to survive, I guess. So. Yeah, it's, it's like when you buy a car, but you can't just have, put any petrol in it. You've got to put in like Ford brand petrol or Volkswagen brand, brand petrol. What? Um, is that a thing? No, it's not, but it would be bad Are if you it You're saying was. it will be a thing? It might be a thing. But if that's just, I mean, that, I, I'm using analogies here, but that's sort of what it feels like. I think there's going to be advantages and disadvantages to the increasing use of stream service. I think the advantage is that we're getting more competition. We're getting more films made by different people, so we're going to get more variety and more interest. But I think the disadvantage is that we could end up with... It's, it's hard to describe. I don't know what the term for it is. I think I know or, what you mean, and I think the best word you use was tribalism. Tribalism, but we're going to get the emergence of more platforms and with more platforms there becomes like barriers barriers to entry in that way with when it was just hollywood making films basically there was a certain, certain barrier to entry because if people who controlled hollywood controlled cinema and who could get into cinema yeah because then... um warner brothers mgm all those put out their films in the same pool if you will um, so, you know, a lot of people didn't know the different uh, companies like Paramount uh, and all that kind of thing because, you know, unless you paid attention to those logos you see at the beginning of the film, you're not, you're not going to know if it's an MGM film, Warner Brothers film. Um, you know, you just wouldn't care, really. Um, I mean, I certainly didn't when I was a kid. And then when I got older, I was like, oh, yeah, the lion is MGM and um, Bugs Bunny is Warner Brothers and all that kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, so my battery is dying now, Christopher. So I think we're going to have to wrap things up. Well, we had a word, didn't we? Was it, was it melons? Melons? I think so. <laughs> I'm not going oh, mad. We had a safe word. I can't remember what it is. Let's just call it melons. Yeah, am I going mad? Melons!